Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Week commencing 15th of October 2018. Wheat continues to be incredibly dull. I've used that phrase three times on the trot and I'd love to make up a story but can't. There was a USDA report uh, on Thursday the 11th which was for the first time slightly friendly to the market. It gave the corn production figures a slight knock, which we've kind of been expecting for a while. So the market has responded to that by bouncing a little bit on corn, which is dragging one or two markets up around the world. Not very much, but just a kind of little little positive signal in, it, in what is otherwise a, a pretty grim forecast. The UK hasn't actually gone up at the same time because the pound in the last week has been very very firm uh you know we've we've got a a potential brexit deal um which we all know when it gets to parliament will be voted out and then the pound will plummet again but at this point the optimism and the uh, mr barnier's utterly generous uh, offer appears to be uh, uh, being accepted so the pound is firming so values feed wheat 170x farm is about the same as it was last week and again I think it will actually ease back as we go through the month of November. Very shortly we have tender time on the November futures which means guys like me who own future stores will be offering all of that wheat into the marketplace and if someone desperately needed wheat they know they've got access to it. So once that's happened I can't see the market wanting for wheat and therefore there's going to be a, a, probably a period where it, it eases back a little bit if we're left to our own devices. Feed barley has had um, quite a, a, a big week in terms of trading. There was a number of boats that the merchants were competing to fill and they paid up to 172 delivered was a, about the delivered value which equates back to about 165x farm. Those boats I think are now filled so the, the feed barley price in the short term will probably ease back a little. Feed barley, as we've said all the way through, is quite tight, and uh, we think that it's not something that's ever going to lose lose masses of value. So you, it's it's one of those. I'd like to give you a, a reason for it going through the roof, but there isn't one of those either. So you're not going to lose a lot by hanging on to it. Just use it to your cash flow advantage. Oilseed rape. Well, that's been an interesting week. That what that has really followed the crude oil price more than anything else we always talk about soya influences or palm oil or other other vegetable oils the biofuel aspect the demand for biofuel with a very firm oil price has given the market quite a rally recently but in the last or in over the last few days of last week the oil price dropped along with the FTSE and and share prices so with that uh, rape has come back down a bit it's it's at 320 which is just under what it was last week so we're kind of in the same place with that that the fundamentals are quite friendly because there isn't much rape around but if oil prices continue to fall away then probably the the oilseed rape price will come down a bit with it equally obviously if oil starts to recover again and head back up to the hundred dollars a barrel uh, figure then i think rape will, will be brought uh, some of the way up with that 
So in all, yeah, it's a it's been a pretty dull old week. Farmers are still very busy, lots going on. A little bit of rain has been around, so germination of the crops are, are, are okay in the UK. And I think that, yeah, there's nothing, nothing particularly on the horizon. I will, I will say one thing. I had a, a bet uh, in the middle of harvest with a trader from, a, from a, one of our competitors. And um, I was at the time in the middle of the very hot period saying that the UK feed wheat crop would be under uh, 13 million tonnes, which is a fairly aggressive statement in itself. And he bet it would be nearer to 14 I lost, he won, and I drove all the way down to Tame to pay, to pay him the price yesterday. So, Nick, well done, and uh, yeah, next year I'll have another crazy bet with you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. RTK Farming is the UK's leading independent supplier of RTK signal to the farming industry. With RTK delivered via radio or SIM card, RTK Farming can work with any make of GPS equipment, from aftermarket systems such as Trimble and Topcon to factory-fitted equipment. With low annual subscription costs and discounts for multiple vehicles, RTK Farming is the solution. For more information, go to rtkfarming.co.uk. And now it's time for our feature. This morning, I've got with me Rob Mutimer. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Andrew. Now, Rob has become a local champion and, in fact, a national champion this week by being declared Pig Farmer of the Year. He and his wife, Helen, have achieved this award at the Farmers Weekly Awards, and we're all very proud of you, Rob. Well done. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, it's a really good accolade for the team at home, and uh, we're really pleased. Yeah, Helen hasn't been able to come along today to put her side of the story. No, she's left that to me. Uh, I've got the face for radio, so I've been sent for that. <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, seeing who was ultimately in control, because having worked with Helen in the past a long, long time ago, I- I'm certainly certain she's uh, directing things. As much as I pretend to be in charge, I think we all know who really holds the strings. <laughs> Absolutely. So I can remember lots and lots of years ago, your uh, your parents getting placards, I think it was, and and fighting on behalf of pig farmers. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, um, towards the the end of the 1990s, we were uh, suffering from mega depression in the pig price. The supermarkets were moving more and more towards pork from abroad. And uh, my parents and a huge number of other people in the industry decided to stand up and fight them. So we spent time blockading supermarkets checkouts uh, and also having a stall in parliament with Winnie the pig and uh, keeping a pig outside parliament for nearly three months uh, just to raise the awareness of the fact that the industry was dying. Yeah and, and I can remember lots of farmers going out of business in that period who were pig farmers. Yeah we lost 50% of the herd in, at that time um, so it was a massive hit after the stall and tether ban where we were told by government that uh, every, we would be looked after for producing higher welfare pork. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of those people weren't looked after and, and had to leave the business. I mean, does that instill great confidence as we go towards Brexit? Um, I, think, I think you're always worried coming into Brexit on what your trade terms are going to be with Europe. 
but we have got an industry with high welfare and um, that welfare is at a, at a level where we're, we're self-sufficient and it's not, not too expensive compared to the rest of the products on the market. So we have a degree of confidence that we've got a unique selling point in the UK in that we produce an awful lot of outdoor bred pigs. But it's, I, I mean, the, the key, well, the question I'm asking is level playing field, isn't it? If, if the government gets in a spot of bother with prices going up, for whatever reason, that are they going to be desperately trying to find ways to keep in power and get some cheap food in? That that's must- that's the big worry. If, if we get into a free trade agreement with the uh, the Americans, we've got a big price differential between our product and their product. The welfare standards are different. The the use of raptor bean as a, a hormone to grow the pigs is over there but uh, we all know if the government sees real food inflation coming down the line they're likely to do trade agreements that don't um, benefit certain sectors and we've got to make sure that we're not the sector that gets um, thrown to the wolves. I mean that that screams as as being unfair doesn't it I mean I've said before that the 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 battleground is the consumer and the consumer is as, as dumb as they get they've got no association with food if they if they were to just research a bit about the hormones they stick in, in as a comparison versus outside pigs in the UK, they would go, oh, we like those pigs in the UK, we'll, we'll go for that. But Yeah, and, and when you put it like that, everyone can see the sense in it. But when you're on a supermarket aisle and you're looking at something that's going to cost you £3 to pay, compared to £1.50, the vast number of people will take the cheaper option, whether it's safe or not. Yeah, I mean, to me... The, the the key message is to government on that, isn't it? That that please don't sell us down the river. Please give us half a chance to compete. No, you, the government set us standards in this country, both on animal welfare and food safety, and uh, it would be an absolute disaster if they sold us down the river and let him product that was um, inferior to ours. I mean, those standards have been set for many years, and they're, they're set throughout Europe as well now, which is a fairly level level playing field. And we've we've been all right for the last ten years, mm. but. Uh, the thought of going up against the big American product is, is 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 really difficult for us. Yeah. So so going back to Winnie the pig, um, did you just realise that it wasn't getting you anywhere, or did it get you somewhere, or what? What did you do when you kind of came to the end of that? No, I, I think it did get us somewhere. It really did. We we lost a large proportion of the industry, but we have had much better support from the supermarkets since then. Are oh, they not perfect? Our relationship with the supermarkets, but it's an awful lot better than it was in the nineties. And also, it educated a lot of the uh, people in Parliament, the MPs, the researchers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, as to the fact that we were there and we we had got a genuine grievance. Um, trouble is now we're 20 years on and uh, people's memories are, are forgotten and uh, we just hope that brexit doesn't put us in a dangerous position mm. so farm to fork let's move on to that one because that was the big step from a distance we we watched you you know being a pig farmer and you had uh, i think you had sheep as well what made that happen I think after the foot and mouth incident, we suddenly realised that we had a, had a business with one customer, and that customer was Waitrose. It's a very good business to be associated with, but we felt very, very vulnerable with just one customer. So um, we decided we would tinker a little bit with uh, butchery, and uh, it got slightly out of control. We ended up having to build a cutting plant, and um, uh, not through great planning, but it, it evolved in that way. But it was a way of us... Uh, actually having two businesses that um, do work side by side and giving us a little bit more confidence to move forward. 
Uh, if anyone's ever spotted modesty, that was one of those moments. I think tinkering and a little bit of, uh, well, uh, bluntly, there was so much hard work went into that, and you had to, you know, pull money in to invest in these plants, and the hours you guys worked, I mean, I was aware of this, were just unbelievable. And it's incredibly brave to step out and set up a business in front of your peers and go out to the great unwashed general public and go, here's our product, uh, because you could have fallen flat on your face, couldn't you? Yeah, and I think in the first year or two, we felt at times we might well be about to fall on our face, but um, we didn't really have any knowledge at all of butchery at that time. We had to learn an awful lot. We made an awful lot of mistakes, but uh, I think looking back in hindsight, we thoroughly enjoyed the the challenge, and um, we're very pleased that we've gone forward with it. Yeah, I mean, so other other farmers out there who, who are confronted with a, an uncertain future, you know, what what tips, what hints would you give to them to to give them the confidence to make that step? I think um, you've got to have a passion for what you go into. Uh, don't charge into something that you don't actually enjoy or like because it is very difficult to start with. Um, and also take as much uh, good financial advice as you can get your hands on. Yeah, does that mean paying for that advice? Uh, some of it's paid for and some of it you just have to work at um, and there's good people out there who will give you good advice yeah because we, we we met once on the train down to London and um, and missed the train home if I remember rightly Rob um, but we discussed actually investing in people who have got knowledge and they do cost money don't they those good advisors sometimes are, are worth 10 times the pennies you spend on them yeah, and I think especially when you start a new business, you become so engrossed in what you're doing, you don't actually look up and see what's going on around you after a while. And we, mm. we certainly had a, an advisor come in and spend two or three days with us, I think five years into Farm to Fork, and um, changed the course of the way we worked, the way we worked in the business and everything. And uh, that, that was a massive, massive watershed moment for the business. Yeah, I mean, and, and brand development. I mean, Farm to Fork has become a name that's that's really well known locally, and lots of the menus have that as a highlight as, of the meat that they're supplying. Yeah, and we, we have to offer something different. We, we, we're up against uh, established catering butchers from all over East Anglia and in, in where we are. So you have to use what you've got. And we did have a, a story that um, we had a low food mileage product, we had a high welfare product, and... Uh, that we tried to fit the farm to fork brand around that. What's what's the? I mean, it's not been, you know, an unbridled success. There's been some tough moments. There's been some great moments. What's been the? Let's start with the worst moment in your. Well, when did you take over at farm to fork first? Well, uh, take over. Uh, it was a gradual process with uh, mother and father stepping back slowly. Um, but Helen and I really started running the business together in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, from, from then a, a mother and father are still inv- heavily involved in the business but uh, the day-to-day management has been left to us that's when your dad isn't going to Australia every other month is it well, yeah well, or Thailand or somewhere <laughs> else yeah I'm glad he <laughs> he enjoys it good <laughs> but that so the, the the low point what's been your low point uh, the low point was when we broke down with uh, dysentery in 2015 mm-hmm. and had to sell the whole pig herd um uh, that that was very difficult, but yeah, that was um, tough, wasn't it? I think you learn a lot from from it, and uh, hopefully we've come back with a better structure for the pigs that were at home. And uh, yeah, 
I think that once you'd worked out that financially it was uh, doable in destocking and restocking and what the timetable was, and uh, we were very, very lucky that we kept our best staff. In fact, we kept four four out of the five, and they're still with us. And the, the end result has been a, a really good success, but it, it was a very difficult time. So is this is this award the high point or is there another moment that you you can say do you know what we've we've nailed this what what's been the best moment i think for me still the best moment was getting back into pigs after cleaning everything down and everything else and then seeing the production come up to the to the levels we wanted uh, you know it was it was nearly two years before we got everything right but th- that moment when you feel yes we we have actually rebuilt it it is what we wanted and uh, yeah that's my highlight but the award's absolutely great, and it's a real good recognition for the team um, because we've got a good team both in the butchery, in the office, and especially on the pig farm, and those guys are putting mega work. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenally tough competition to win, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's by no means uh, anything other than a fantastic achievement. So it wasn't seamless, that that period where you weren't able to supply the pigs you know you had to have some form of strategy did you have to rewrite your own strategy as to how to keep supplying meat because it to the outside world you seamlessly continued to supply meat to the to the market didn't you yeah we did um we joined together with uh, tulip who we supply our pigs to um so that we and we had pigs on different farms so we weren't out of pigs in on all the farms all the while so the strategy was to use our pigs for as long as we possibly can and then in the interim i think it was only in the end three months that we bought pigs of the same spec from uh, tulip slaughterhouses and they were they were also i have to say very very supportive of, of the whole process and uh it certainly wasn't seamless, but it went quite well. Yeah, well, it seemed it seemed seamless. What um, I mean, and you have? Do you have a network of other suppliers of of, of other products? For your yeah, butchery? we do. When we set up the the butchery business, we, we we initially wanted just to sell the lambs and the pigs that we produced on the farm, but um, very quickly learnt that uh, a pub and a restaurant wanted to order all their meat with one telephone call or one email a night, rather than phoning lots of different suppliers. So we've built up a network of uh, local suppliers and we use a lot of Gressingham um, duck. We use quite a lot of crown poultry chicken. Uh, we also buy in some some products like calf's liver from the continent and, and unfortunately New Zealand lamb shanks. So there's quite a w- wide range of product that we do supply now. And when you say unfortunately New Zealand? Oh, we'd like to buy the, the British, but um, the the supply is not consistent, I'm afraid, and uh, the price differential on certain things is too much. So is there an opportunity in that? Uh, I'd love to think so, but uh, the New Zealanders have got it fairly wrapped up. Also, there's things like carcass utilisation. You know, they don't eat a lot of lamb shanks in New Zealand, apparently, so they've got quite a lot of good price, whereas in this country they're quite sought after. So I think carcass balance on all species is, makes the thing a little bit more difficult. And again, we get back to Brexit and what what has a tariff and what doesn't. And, uh, you know, maybe some of the exports of lamb from the UK are going to be reduced. They are. uh, If if we get a a tariff on, especially on World Trade uh, Organization rules, the sheep industry looks as though it's going to have a difficult time. Um, But that comes across also to the pig industry. 
Yes, we, we could see ourselves with a, an awful lot of sales with no home because all our sales end up, or sale meat ends up in uh, Germany being made into salamis and what have you, which is a product we don't produce in this country. So there's, there's, lots, of, uh, there's lots of opportunities with Brexit coming up, but we've got to be aware of the threats, and that certainly is one of the big ones. Mm. So got the trophy on the mantelpiece. Is it time for feet up? Uh, no, I don't think Helen's not here, so she'd kill me if she heard, heard, heard the word feet up. Uh, no, we're looking to um, we're looking to increase the number of sales we keep at Swannington. So we're uh, in the process of trying to build some more finishing accommodation, um, planning permitting, and also the butchery. We put quite a lot of uh, uh, expansion into the actual scale of the butchery and the fridges last year, so that there is growth capacity there as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep pushing on in those two directions. And and so, how do you expand sales? How does that happen? Uh, we expand sales by um, going and talking to people, going to going out cold calling, um, and also just uh, following chefs around restaurants as they resign and go to the next restaurant. <laughs> we try and go with them and stay where they where they've come from. Yeah, that's a good tactic. And certainly, chefs get stroppy enough times to leave enough places, don't they? I couldn't possibly say that. <laughs> Right, Rob, I know you're a busy man. That was a fantastic interview, and I'm so pleased for you and Helen for winning. That's I can't say how pleased the whole of, well, North Washington Rugby Club, your old mates. It's just great to have a local guy winning, winning a, a national award. Congratulations, and thank you very much for coming and giving some of your time today. Uh, thank you, Andrea. Very kind words, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste, and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. So uh, here we are. We're uh, back in the offices. It's uh, time to sample another beer. As it's nine o'clock in the morning, Andrew quite hasn't got the stomach to uh, to handle a beer. So I've sort of dragged out Ben, who should be able to handle it. He's still in his prime, still in his youth. Morning, um, Webby. Yeah, morning. So, Ben, what have you got today? So today we are drinking Wild Awake, a coffee IPA. From the World Craft Brewery. Uh, it's 5%. Um, cool branding. I quite like the bottle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, interesting. So uh, let's, let's have a go. Give it a go. That's really different. Wow. It's not bad. Punch it. <laughs> drink it. Yeah, that's, that's not bad at all. It's got a very... It's got a... Yeah, I mean, it's got a, a tangy aftertaste. Mm. Yeah, no, I'll drink that again. Happy with that. So... Um, I thought we'd talk about the price of beer. We, I read in, um, I read in the Guardian, but not on the Guardian reader. But I read. You're more of a Sun man, aren't you? Now that's where you spotted <laughs> this article. I spotted in the Guardian, not the Sun. Classic headline: Beer prices set to rise after heat wave hits barley harvest. Prices go up fifty nine p on a pint of beer. What do you think about that? That's scandalous. I isn't think it? that will bankrupt many people, Ian. Well, we've been uh, with one of our, uh, well, with a couple of farmers. We've been investigating this to uh, suspect fake news, haven't we? So what have we got down to? So in our calculations, we looked at the MAGB. 
1.3 tonnes of barley produces about 15,000 tonnes... Oh, sorry, 15,000 beers. Now, okay, now we're talking, right. So that's a good number, isn't it? So if you bring that back, that makes your point, having about two peas worth of malting barley in each beer. What do you think about that? I think that's, that's ridiculous. So the 59p on a pint would make a tonne of barley worth what? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, you haven't done those maths, have you? That. Yeah, you stumped me on that. You can't... Uh, there's a 37% rise year-on-year year world barley prices. That doesn't equate to a 59p rise in the price of a beer. So there's something not quite right. I might get shot by every single brewer there with that <laughs> comment, but... um. To me, I think that's slightly unfair um, price inflation there. Yeah, I mean, I think if you saw 59p go onto a pint, I think they'd be rioting in the streets. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, I don't I think that's... But that's interesting you brought that up, because obviously this week we've seen the world's most expensive bottle of whiskey sell, Webby. Yeah, good story. I like that. Were you, were, were you yeah. at that auction, did I hear? <laughs> for uh, Money seven, bags. £700,000 yeah. bottled in 1926, 12 in existence. Looking at that, I mean, I did a bit of digging on the maths. In 1925, when the barley would have been bought, the barley was worth £43 a tonne. Okay. So, the return on the whiskey is phenomenal, isn't it? So, the bottle of whiskey back then, I mean, I don't know what that would have been worth. That's probably worth looking at. But that whiskey's, uh, yeah, been stored up in Scotland... Sold for 700,000, only 12 bottles in existence. Do you think Andrew's got two? <laughs> if, you, if you've got a punchy, uh, punchy pocket, you can spend £13.60 on a pint of Alesmith Speedway Stout. Solid 12 percenter. Okay. It's a strong, similar to what we're drinking today, strong coffee and dark chocolate sensations. Yeah, it's you see, more of a co- London market, to be honest. Coffee and beer. You see, I hear of people doing something called a triptych. Do you know about this? No, never heard this. So if you go on a night out and you start to flag a bit, Webby, yeah. as you would do at about 8pm, mm. people tend to have... So a triptych is a shot of espresso, okay. a Zambuca and a bottle of beer. So if Good you, combo. If you finish all those off, apparently it really perks yeah. you up. Next night out, perfect. <laughs> so I think, going back to it, Ben, 59p in the pint, I mean, that's certainly not going to be seen in the uh, the farmer's pocket, is it, surely? And, not not uh, at all, no. Sadly, no, and I think we've got to look higher up the um, the supply chain. Well, well, the good news is it won't affect Donald Trump, because he doesn't drink beer, so he's saving some cash. Brett Kavanaugh would surely like that, because uh, he likes beer, doesn't he, Ben? Well, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't know, maybe I didn't go to those type of parties. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 